This is The Cable. Big bid on 10-year treasuries over the last week. Tech story is front and centre. A lot of people are saying, no thank you, step back. You're saying, get in, why? Your connection from the London market close to the US market action. A significant sell-off in European assets. The dollar a little bit stronger today. This is a stock that is increasingly being shorted. The Cable. An historic moment from which there can be no turning back. With Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Good afternoon, good afternoon to the City of London. You are listening to The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. It has just gone 5pm in the city alongside Guy Johnson in London. I'm Jonathan Farrow here in New York for you. At the close on the FTSE, a little bit earlier, a whole lot firmer, up by 7 tenths of 1% on the FTSE 100. We inch higher on the S&P 500, firmer by a tenth of 1%. In the FX market, the stage set as follows for you. The euro slightly negative, sterling slightly positive. No big price moves in G10, I've got to say. Fairly muted price action. Cable up by just a tenth of 1%, Guy. Yeah, to be honest, I think people are just waiting to see what happens next. I think we'll probably get an extension granted. We have a uh, a meeting of ambassadors of the EU that is going to take place in around 29 minutes' time. The expectation is that that will deliver some kind of an extension for Brexit. There was a conversation earlier on between between the Prime Minister and the leader of the opposition, Mr Corbyn, uh, in which the Prime Minister seemed to suggest that maybe actually the French wouldn't allow an extension. That certainly is not consensus. Uh, and I just wonder whether or not the Prime Minister was trying to uh, scare Mr Corbyn a little bit. Anyway, that meeting didn't result in an outcome. Uh, we'll talk more about the Brexit story in just a moment, John. Let's get some headlines now with Charlie Pellet. I thank you very much, Guy Johnson. Police in southeastern England have launched a murder investigation after 39 people were found dead early today inside a large cargo lorry that authorities believe was registered in Bulgaria and came into the United Kingdom, into England, via Ireland. The vehicle, which police said entered the UK over the weekend via the Welsh port of Hollyhead, was found across the country at the Waterglade Industrial Park in Grays. That's about 25 miles east of London on the River Thames. Now, police did not formally tie the deaths to human trafficking, but a link was assumed because of the way the victims were crammed into the truck's container. Sources tell Bloomberg Saudi Aramco is exploring ways to reward loyal investors in its initial public offering to ensure the record share sale is not followed by a wave of selling. One potential measure that Aramco has discussed with Saudi regulators is whether it could offer bonus shares to retail stock buyers who keep their holdings for six months. And the head of London Heathrow Airport, John Holland Kay, favors a shakeup in landing rights that would allow Virgin Atlantic to challenge the dominance of British Airways. The change would encourage greater competition by giving Virgin more flights once Europe's busiest hub gets a £16 billion third runway. Latest from the news desk, uh, Jonathan Farrow, back to you now in New York. All for competition and lower prices, Charlie. I think uh, that we'll is both the take goal. that, won't we? That is the goal. Great to see you, Charlie. You too, Thank you very much. Let's talk about Brexit, shall we? Before we get knee-deep in the latest nuances around the story, the never-ending Brexit story that we refer to quite often, very often, over the last three years. Let's remember, it was only about a month ago that many people thought the Prime Minister wouldn't be able to reopen negotiations with the EU, wouldn't be able to have any kind of new deal, any kind of twist on what the Prime Minister had already agreed, and certainly wouldn't be able to get that deal through Parliament. Well, Guy, to some degree, 
he managed to defeat all of those people that thought it wasn't possible. To some degree, he did make some progress, and I think we have made some progress over the last six weeks. Now, whether this progress can materialise into something where we can actually move on from phase one and start working on the future relationship, I don't know when that happens. But I think we should acknowledge the Prime Minister has managed to do something that many people thought he couldn't. Absolutely. And and in, in some ways it is maybe a little bit of hubris that he has now found himself in the situation that he finds himself in because he has achieved all of that and he made that all clear in PMQs. The problem is that he has maybe just pushed it too far. His his perception of this need to get things done by October the 31st was always going to be perceived by many as unreasonable and as a result of which we now find ourselves in the situation where he is probably going to have now an extended period of negotiation on this bill. I, it, it's certainly likely to be more than the original three days, possibly. It could be as little as six days. It could be upwards of a month. And as a result of which, it's going to, find, it's going to be much easier for, for the opposition parties to try and find a way of bringing it down. And I, think, and I think if Boris had just played his cards a little bit cannier than he's, than he's done then I think he would find himself with a complete victory, not a partial victory at this point, John. Um, I, I think the currency markets therefore find themselves in a situation where they've now got to wait and watch and see whether or not actually some of these amendments are attached, whether they're successful, what impact they will have. I don't know. But but again, I think I, 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 Boris Johnson could be over the line at this point almost. If he just said, you know what, OK, I'll extend by a few days. We'll get a decent level of debate going. We'll make sure this happens. But he could have had the momentum going, but that momentum's been stopped now, and I think that that was a mistake. We'll see how long the extension ultimately is. Uh, the Prime Minister, I'm sure, has his view on how short he would like it to be. Ultimately, it's up to the EU. We will need some kind of unanimity. Um, we'll need all of the countries in the EU 27 to agree to how long this extension will be. If it's three months, Guy, which quite clearly the Prime Minister does not want, but if it is three months, how do you see that playing out? I don't know. I I suspect that actually there is the possibility that Boris Johnson gets this over the line before then. And 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 all of the extensions thus far have had an exit clause. Yeah, I just I just wonder if he slams on the brakes and says I want an election or whether he actually goes through no, with this. I now, what's I think, interesting? I think, yeah, I, I think an election's a really tough call yeah, at this point. Yeah, and I think that's what's you? interesting too. Going into this yesterday, I think many people thought that if they don't pass the bill for the timetable, or at least the time frame that the Prime Minister wanted, that he was just going to pull the whole thing and call an election. And he hasn't done that. He hasn't done that at all. In fact, he's keeping his cards quite close to his chest at the moment. I'm really interested in what his next move might be. If they give him the three months, does he turn around and say, let's get this done? Or does he turn around, slam on the brakes and say, let's have an election? Probably so. The election's not within his gift. And that's the issue. Um... The Labour Party doesn't necessarily want an election at this point. And that's his problem. What is the strategy of the Labour Party? If you've got your head around that, they're not nope. doing well in the polls. They've made no progress over the last six weeks, despite the fact that it looked like the Prime Minister was racking up loss after loss after loss. Is the strategy just to frustrate the opposition and hope the polls turn? Uh, I think it probably is, yeah. Um, I, I think there is this belief that if... That there is a, it is a very split party, and I, therefore I think to try, to try and suggest that there is a common position, I think is is maybe taking a step too far. There is the Corbyn position, which I think continues to be, I want Brexit, but I'm I, I know my party probably doesn't, 
and as a result of which I'm not going to completely commit to any particular course of action. Um, I think the Labour Party, in its kind of entirety, if you were look at the, to look at the majority, would probably certainly the PLP, the Parliamentary Labour Party, would probably like a general election at some point, but certainly not now. I think they would probably more be in favour of a referendum, and I think they would certainly like to try and tie the, the government's hands with with an insistence that, that the UK stays in a customs union. But all of that could be unpicked so easily if the government were to win an election. I think that, And I think that's the bind that, that the, the Labour Party find themselves in. At the moment, it seems to be just muddled through and just trying on a tactical basis kind of con, sort of confound the Prime Minister. But 19 members of the party defied the whip and voted for this deal. I think that's going to be something that, that the party is going to find very difficult to deal with. Um, and 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 it certainly caused a lot of problems for, for Jeremy Corbyn's um, Jeremy Corbyn's leadership. John, I think the next 10, 10, 10 days are going to be absolutely fascinating. Whether or not they get us from 130 to 140, we'll wait and see. We'll discuss that more in a moment. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. You're listening to The Cable. We are live on DAB Digital Radio in the London area and around the world on all of your Bloomberg devices. A couple of things have happened over the last sort of hour or so, one of which is that Mark Zuckerberg has been facing um, a a series of questions on Capitol Hill, uh, mainly about uh, the new digital currency um, that, that Facebook is pushing uh, Calibra is their version. Um, Libra is the kind of wider version of it. Uh, and the other one is that the president has been speaking about Turkey. That's certainly moving Turkish assets reasonably aggressively. We saw the uh, the US Turkish ETF spiking around 3%. And we've also seen the Turkish lira gaining some ground against the dollar as well. Brexit certainly seems to be a main story over here in London and certainly continues to dominate the political agenda here in Europe for better or worse. Alistair McCaig joining us now to give us his take on all of that. He joins us out of Switzerland from Fern Wealth. Um, Al, we've, we've been trying to figure out exactly what's been going on with Brexit and how we should position for it. Is it your sense that we are reaching the point where UK assets look investable again, given their significant discount? Um, evening, uh, Guy. Yeah, I, I think we are edging towards that. If I can just loop back to some of the points uh, you and Jonathan were making before the break um, and worth taking into consideration. First thing is, Assuming he can force an election, this is Boris Johnson, there's basically a 25-day turnaround before an election can actually be be held. So in reality, we're talking for the last couple of days, November, more realistically, the beginning of December, then throw into the mix that a lot of the, the venues used for an election happen to be school halls and the likes, and December is a particularly busy time of year for those sort of things. And then throw into the last piece of the mix, of course, the weather, which means that, you know, voter turnout will be affected by it and probably the most likely demographic affected by it is going to be the old and arguably that that's one of the strongest parts of the 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 leave campaign so if he doesn't get his act together very quickly as literally as the days tick by it looks less and less likely as far as an extension is concerned i guess the noises we're hearing most uh, countries in europe seem to be uh, i think we're getting the sense that they're more likely to say here's the three months and take your time and get it sorted out and they don't want to be seen to be pushing the UK out of the the EU 
possible exception being maybe France, who uh, have lost their patience a little bit more than others. Ghana have spent the last couple of days trying to work out what the next move is for cable. And thinking of it in the following terms, we've had this move from 120 to 130 because the risk of a hard Brexit has diminished quite considerably relative to where it was, say, five, six weeks ago. Something I'm trying to think about at the moment, Al, as people start to get increasingly more comfortable, relatively speaking, to cable in and around the levels of 130, do you think there's a chance that the hard Brexit risk starts to ramp up again in the next three months or so? Any chance of that actually happening? I'm just trying to stress test the consensus view at the moment, which is we've had this big move from 120 to 130 because hard Brexit risks have diminished. Any reason to believe those risks might materialise again, might start to pick up once more? I am conscious that people are getting uh, more and more tired about this whole saga, but I I think the, the opportunity of pushing through a hard Brexit scenario has been tested and, and the House of Commons has, has turned it down again. Um, I, I think a hard Brexit. I'm still. I think. It's, I think sterling cable at this point in time is broadly speaking fair value. I, I don't doubt in the next three months, assuming we get a three month extension, there will be intraday, intraweek uh, gossip, news, tweets, interviews, whatever it might be, which will see volatility creep back in, and, and you know, wouldn't surprise me seeing it dip below that 125 level again at some point in time. But I think more broadly speaking, the risk of a hard Brexit probably has diminished. Okay, so let's talk about it the other way. What would take it? What would it take to get us to 140? What would get us up there? Would it be a customs union amendment? Would a second referendum? get us towards 140. What would it take for that to happen? Uh, bottom line is, would, would have to be some tangible progress that people feel are actually getting us towards a conclusion here, rather than the likelihood of another extension. So, yes, I think another referendum is the kind of scenario that would see the, the cable price move up back up to 140. Um, and I think the power and effort needed to get it to 140 it would be half to see it move from 140 to 150 afterwards. Um, okay. we could get news like thing. Al, thanks very much indeed. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. You are listening to Bloomberg Radio alongside Guy Johnson. I'm Jonathan Farrow. A discussion about pound sterling cable 128.84. Big move. Eight, nine big figures, ten bigger figures getting out to 130 at one point off the lows of early September. A big move off the back of diminishing risks around a hard Brexit. Today, the debate about 130 to 140. For me, you've got to look at the post-Brexit highs in cable. The post-Brexit highs in cable, 140 pushing 145, the spring of 2018. What also happened in the spring of 2018? Arguably, the global economy peaked and the dollar bottomed. To get a call for 130 to 140 to start playing out, I think underpinning that has got to be a broader call for a weaker dollar. What do you need to get a weaker dollar? You need the global economy to pick up. You need the same kind of feelings that we had in the early part of 2018. The data was better. The earnings were good. The data at the moment is looking pretty terrible. South Korean exports, that's a great proxy for global trade. Global exports, not pretty at all this week. PMIs come out tomorrow from Europe. PMIs from the United States as well. And Guy, we'd had two macro bellwethers as well. Caterpillar, the numbers really weren't great. 
cutting the guidance. Texas Instruments, the first out the gate for the big chip makers in America. The guidance, not pretty, not yep. great. That stock got hit. And I'm just wondering, if you look at things all together at the moment, do you get a strong idea that the global economy has started to bottom out yet? And I don't think anyone has. No, I don't think it has. Though I think if you delve into the to the CAT numbers and certainly the CAT statements, you will see that the company said that actually most of its its uh, customers are not financially stressed at this point. They're just cautious. And as a result of which, um, I, I think that probably diminishes slightly the read you can get on the global economy from CAT. Like CAT is a great bellwether. It is certainly something that is a proxy uh, for the global economy. It's... it's um, its customers, certainly its dealers, are reducing inventory. Again, a reflection maybe of a little bit of caution. I, I just wonder whether, though, the, the pound has has the ability to go back to 140 without a significant turn in the dollar. Um, I think it would certainly assist, and it would certainly uh, certainly be a very big contributing factor. But but we've got to the point, John, where we've priced out a no deal. And I think that that's, as, as we've discussed, 120 to 130. To 130 to 140, I think you need some degree of stability and understanding on what the long-term relationship is going to look like. And I think if we can get that and start to understand what that looks like, I th- there's still considerable headroom, I would argue, for the Brexit story in isolation to drive the pound higher. I think you, you, you are almost certainly right that, that I think this would happen a lot more quickly if the if the dollars was to, was to turn, but I think if you can stabilise the Brexit situation, if you can remove the Corbyn risk, if you can do all of those things, then I think the, the cable just might be one of those idiosyncratic stories that that allows the the market not to have to focus on the kind of big dollar story, but to focus on maybe that. I don't know. What do you think? To, to achieve that, I just wonder whether the nature of the future relationship between the United Kingdom and Europe needs to change from the current stance that the Prime Minister is currently pushing. So the Labour Party would like a customs union. Quite clearly, anyone who really wants Brexit, truly wants Brexit, doesn't want a customs union. If you have a no. customs union, you need a common external tariff. It means you can't negotiate trade deals with anyone else in the world. That was the whole point of Brexit for many people, especially for some of the hardcore Brexiteers who are in the Conservative Party. So, look, I, I think you need to change the nature of the relationship. But if, but if the UK with pays the up, the UK. If the UK pays up. And and the talks sort of start and appear to be going in a more amicable direction. The UK is already out. At that point, it becomes a much more technical discussion. Yeah, if we can take get a some kind longer. of free trade agreement. I, th- I think once the yeah, I think once the politics starts to to bleed out of the story, we're out. The job has been done. The hardcore Brexiteers can relax a little bit. Then I think it becomes a much more manageable technical exercise rather than the sound of fury of the politics that we have at the moment. Alistair McCaig is still with us. Your take on this. Yeah, I, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head a little bit there, Guy, in so much as once the politicians are are not quite as, uh, as square and centre as they are at the moment, you, you do get the sense that actually we might start to achieve a little bit more. Um, and, and this Brexit withdrawal agreement is only stage one. And uh, you get the very much the sense that most of the UK public don't fully appreciate how much more work in negotiations there are once this has actually been agreed and the real work arguably then starts. Um, I think you'll see a, a, a fairly aggressive and quick turnaround in, in mentality and commentary towards Europe as well. It'd probably t- turn into a lot more positivity um, that I'd expect to, to hear out of all the politicians um, in the short term after some sort of 
departure finally materialises, um, how long that lasts for as, as a succession of, uh, of stories hit the newspapers and the, the airwaves is, is yet to be seen. A positive flow story that could materialise off the back of this, I guess, is something we could get positive about. The idea that <laughs> if the Conservative Party or Labour Party wins, ultimately both of them are looking to ditch austerity and start spending, that could mean something for rate differentials as well. Look, I can come up with a few reasons as to why Sterling might strengthen a little bit more, but it, to me, Guy, I just think that the short-term pot we've seen in the last five, six weeks to have a similar move over a similar time period... No, I'm, no I'm definitely hard not. to see how things that, line that, up. I can't, see, I can't see it happening over that kind of time period. I think it's going to be much more of a grind. I think it's going to be a... Which is why I think if you... I, I think if you were to have kind of the dollar weakening and the pound climbing, I think it could happen more quickly... But I don't think it's it's exclusively dependent on the dollar weakening. I think you could have, as the mood music improves, as progress is made, as as all of that kind of comes together, you could just see this incremental gain over. Like it, it, it may be a year, it may even be longer than that. But I think, but I think a more steady progression for the pound. There's going to certainly be sort of bumps and and uh, and hits along the way. But but nevertheless, I'm not sure it's fully dependent on on the dollar coming down. That said. I, we'll see what happens with the dollar. Interest rate differentials are certainly, certainly narrowing up a little bit. We're getting closer to on a bips on a on a treasury bunt spread. Um, I think the ECB is going to struggle to to do more on the monetary policy front. I think the Fed's got much more move that movement there. All of that kind of comes into play as well. Um, thank you very much indeed for for joining us, Alison McKay, Thanks, joining Sam. us from Fern Wealth over in Switzerland. Up next, we'll carry on the conversation. Lots of earnings out of the United States today. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. You're listening to The Cable. We're live on DAB Digital Radio in the London area. We're around the world on all of your Bloomberg devices. John Farrow's over in New York. I'm Guy Johnson joining you here in London. S&P currently trading absolutely flat, just shy of that 3,000 level, uh, which seems to be a beacon for the market at the moment, 29.98. What will it take us to get us convincingly through that seems to be an open question at this point. The earnings story doesn't seem to be doing it right now. Lots of earnings out today. Caterpillar, Boeing. We've seen a lot coming out of the chip space as well, which is worth focusing on with Texas Instruments. Over here in Europe, FTSE up. We saw the oil stocks and the mining stocks doing relatively well today. FTSE up by 7 tenths of 1%. CAC flat, DAX up by 3 tenths of 1%. Volume was all right. Uh, In terms of the earnings story, it kind of kicks into a higher gear again tomorrow. We're back talking about the banks uh, as we count you down towards the end of the week. Let's get you some headlines now. With Charlie Pell. And I thank you very much, Guy Johnson. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg has struggled to convince Congress that his company's plans for a cryptocurrency are wise in light of all the other challenges that the company has failed to solve. In the early part of today's testimony to the House Financial Services Committee, lawmakers made it clear that they weren't just asking about the digital currency known as Libra, but about whether the 35-year-old executive should be trusted with the tremendous power his company has amassed, over 2.7 billion global users of 
of Facebook products. Boris Johnson says French President Emmanuel Macron could veto another extension to the Brexit deadline, potentially forcing the UK out of the bloc with no deal in eight days' time. According to a spokesman for the opposition, Johnson made the remark during a private meeting with Labour Party leader Jeremy Corbyn, who raised doubts about the scenario. And sources tell Bloomberg Saudi Aramco is exploring ways to reward loyal investors in its IPO to ensure the record share sale is not followed by a wave of selling. One potential measure that Aramco has discussed with Saudi regulators is whether it could offer bonus shares to retail stock buyers who keep their holdings for six months. Latest from the news desk, Jonathan Farrell, back to you now in New York. Do you know what would be the best bonus? Is if this story would just go away. Why? Why do you say that? This is an unbelievable story. It comes up, it goes down, they are going to do an IPO, then they're not going to do an IPO. The crown Say that prince, about a lot of companies. Uh, right, I was just thinking that Salman. guy. Yeah, but yeah. a lot of companies don't want a $2 trillion valuation. Yeah, on, on the other hand, too, this is so critical for Saudi, for Saudi Arabia's economy, too, that they've got to do this at some point. Do they? And who's going to buy it at $2 trillion? Look, if a kingdom dependent on oil now wants to sell its crown jewel, you're going to be hard-pushed to find a buyer at $2 trillion. Because most sophisticated investors will see that as a pretty toppy move. If they want to sell it, it probably means it's not going to be worth as much in the future. So who are you selling it to, Well, that's if a, that's your message? Uh, a valid point, but to your point that this story has been going on forever, it seems like it has, on the other hand, not perhaps as much as Brexit, not perhaps as much as U.S.-China uh, trade negotiations. It is a fascinating story and one that bears watching. Also, too, the most fascinating part for me is where this thing ultimately gets listed, how that all gets resolved, too. Well, they're just using that to get a lot of people to bow down to the kingdom, aren't they? <laughs> I don't think uh, okay, so. Do you remember Theresa May going over with the CEO you, you of the ever, London you ever, Stock you ever Exchange? See that movie? Uh, the Princess Bride. Yes. Yeah. In Char- I hear Charlie use the word fascinating, and I'm reminded of the quote from that film. Uh, you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Fair enough. It's it's tedious. It's not fascinating. I, I, it's tedious. I, I, see, I, I disagree with. I totally disagree with you. I, it's it's. I, well, you're yeah. a newsman. You're yeah, a professional right, right, exactly, newsman. Exactly. Charlie, and, right. Uh, and and to you, it's the, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, correct. It, correct. To, correct. To, to, and, to me, I, I've got more of a. Um, I don't know, a trading mentality or a practitioner mentality. And it just, you know, uh, we are get off the, get off the, off the loo. All right, then. <laughs> Should we leave it there? <laughs> on that note. <laughs> on that note. Is that Ofcom compliant, I hope? I, Guy's the one that's in charge of that. <laughs> I, I, I'm in charge of that. That is, I am, I am definitely weights as measures when it comes to Ofcom. Uh, I think you're okay. Charlie, good to see you. <laughs> you too. <mate>. Fascinating. <laughs> see you later. I mean, I guess for some people it might be. It's certainly fascinating trying to watch the Crown Prince get a $2 trillion valuation and coming up with ingenious ways to get people to buy the stock. Well, or yeah. or not, as the case may be, because if the, he if he came up with ingenious ways to get people to buy the stock, they would have listed by now. What do you think of the WeWork story? You bought of that? I think it's a disgrace. So I, what's I, the I bigger th- disgrace, the CEO or SoftBank? Um, I think they're both. I think they're both together, don't you? I, I, I think. I, I think the fact that the so, that SoftBank is 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 doing what it's doing for Newman, I think, is is. I think, I think. I think that is one of the biggest disgraces I've ever seen. Wedging him up, not only. I mean, the stock. You know, g- g- showing him a bid so we can hit it with the uh, hit the bid and cash out of his stock. That's one thing. Paying him 185 million dollars as a consulting fee. I'm sorry. That that's criminal negligence. I mean, what bordering is he, what on is criminal he consulting them on? How to lose a shed load of money, apparently. I mean, it's... Uh, Not it's, clear to me at all. I mean, you know, sorry, mate. I think we can do without your services here. 
You know, meanwhile, people are getting laid off uh, yep. with no severance package, and he's not only getting wedged up out of his stock, um, admittedly at a lower valuation than we might have thought uh, a few months ago. I just wonder whether the prospect of... Uh, I, I don't know what his personal finances look like, but I know he's taken some fairly chunky loans out, and I know some of those are being rolled as well. Yeah, um, I mean, listen, I mean, I guess to some extent more power to him if you can pull the wool over somebody's eyes for that long and they're willing to throw terrible money after bad, after good, then okay, fine. But The amazing thing is that we all saw this one coming, didn't we? Well, <laughs> I can I can think of one person who didn't. Yeah, a, cer- okay. a certain Japanese fella. Yeah. Um but I mean, here's a here's a question for you. Whose reputation is taking so, a bigger hit over the last six over the last 3 months? Mr. Son or Mauricio Pochettino? I, I think probably Mr. Son. Um, <laughs> just looking at that, I think you've touched on something really important. When we say we all saw this coming, hardly anyone had participated in the recent funding rounds. It was SoftBank. Yeah. Yep. When the debt came to the market, still not clear to me who was buying and what their objective was a year ago. But when you look at the recent funding rounds, this was SoftBank. Yeah. It wasn't as if it was the market. And we insult no. private markets at the moment for not functioning perhaps the way they should do. But let's be very clear. When it comes to, come to WeWork, WeWork was a SoftBank creation when it comes to the valuation it had. Totally. $47 billion, that was all yep. SoftBank money. Let's throw money at it. Yeah. Let's scale it. Nobody, let's hope that it works. Nobody and then we get, else was yep. involved in that valuation. That was SoftBank I mean, saying you the company's now worth 47 It reminds me of someone who goes to like a charity auction and has a few jars too many. And then something comes up for bid. Starts bidding things you up. Yeah, and they, they make an initial bid, and then it's like you can you know dead dead silence, and they get they get given because they're the only one who thinks that whatever the you know whatever's up for for sale is anything like that so sort of the valuation. Next, the next logical question that I think many people will be doing already is let's lift the lid on the vision fund, work out what else they've invested in, and what kind of investments were made. Were they similar? I caught up with Scott Galloway of NYU a little bit earlier on this morning who said, look, there's a couple of other companies that have very young leaders that seem to have some parallels with what we've seen with WeWork. And don't be surprised if when you look at the Vision Fund that we have some other companies that could blow up in the same way. Maybe not the same magnitude, but the same way. But this speaks to a broader issue in private capital. There's way, way, way too much money chasing way, way, way too few opportunities. And so you get this whole unicorn phenomenon where these patently absurd business models with negative margins built in from now till kingdom come get these absurdly pumped valuations based on some fantasy of future earnings into the distant, distant future because they can grow revenues. Well, guess what? If you sell a pound for 95p, Guess what? Your revenues are going to go up, but your profitability is going to go down the Should more you sell. we go around selling pounds for 95 pence and see how big we can make the business? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, a, sense, that's a tantamount what these businesses are. That was Brexit. Is that what Brexit is? Well, that was <laughs> what you just said. Guy, is that Ofcom compliant? Probably not. <laughs> this is the Gable. This is the Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. You are listening to Bloomberg Radio alongside Guy Johnson. I'm Jonathan Farrow. Cameron Kreiss in the studio with us. I'm not sure we even introduced you in the last segment, Cameron. So Bloomberg introduces himself. Bloomberg's Cameron Kreiss has joined us in the studio. Cameron, big week for earnings and data as well. Then we get Microsoft after the closing bell today. We get Amazon through the next 48 hours 
Had some earnings today from Texas Instruments uh, after the closing bell yesterday. Caterpillar this morning. Your thoughts at the moment, the earnings and the data on a pretty interesting week. Yeah, well, it's the same story that's been in play for, I mean, literally decades, which is companies talk down the future, set a very low bar, and then they magically beat. I mean, Caterpillar is a perfect example of this, where their EPS, I think, beat their previous quarter EPS was okay, but they kneecapped guidance, um, which sets a low bar for them to beat in three months' time. Uh, and that kind of can work up to a point. And obviously, with equities near the ding-dong highs, in the U.S. at least, you'd say it, it's, it's been pretty good. Uh, I think 81% of companies reporting thus far have beaten earnings, but the margin by which they've beaten is very, very thin. Meanwhile, if we look at sort of the rate of change of, of forward expectations, it's really, really decelerated. Uh, and I wonder how much longer they can play this sort of game of under-promising and over-delivering. Because at some point, if you under-promise too much, then people start to worry about uh, the economic cycle and uh, you know potential yep. earnings recession and maybe an actual recession. We might even be in an earnings recession already. Oh, I think we uh, probably are, to be fair. We're, we're at 3,001 now on the S&P. Are we at 3,001 on the S&P because the Fed has, has turned tail and started cutting rates, or, or because earnings justify the S&P being at 3,001? Oh, I mean, <clears throat> the Fed was is the prime mover of this. Okay. Uh, I, I so is that with, sugar, if, if the Fed is, gives us one, maybe, maybe one after that, and then is done, how long before that sugar high, the Fed sugar high fades and the market has to focus more firmly on earnings? Well, uh, at the risk of drawing a Brexit parallel um, uh, where, it, where it needn't, needn't be inserted, I think it, it's a waiting game. Um, just like, just like uh, the UK is now waiting on the EU to come back with, a, with an extension uh, response. In the US, it's kind of which, which penny drops first? Does... Um, do earnings and the real economy drop uh, in line, or you know, does the real economy keep going along the trajectory it's been in? Uh, in which case, stocks are way too high. Uh, or do you see uh, a recovery in some green shoots around the world and in the U.S.? Uh, uh, in which case, then we can go, go, you know, go onwards and upwards. Um, I mean, it's we're at an interesting juncture from a valuation perspective because. The long-term prospects for equity returns are absolutely terrible. Uh, if you look at things like um, market cap relative to GDP, which is a sort of a Warren Buffett uh, favorite, uh, that suggests that you're going to have negative returns over the next 10 years. Uh, on a one-year horizon, the correlation is much skimpier. Um, and there's obviously a lot more ephemeral issues like um, noise and, and interest rates and things like that. And the narrative story that can, that can determine... Uh, market pricing. But from my perspective, looking 12 months into the future, we're going to be at the sharp end of the election. Um, and I mean, maybe that it's maybe it's going to be good news and sunshine and pony rides and lemonade for everybody. That'll be the new risk the on the horizon. Months. I think absolutely. A, the market valuation right now, just looking at 19, 20 times realized earnings well, in the S&P 500. Well, here's the thing, is that if you look at uh, corporate profits for the entire economy, they've gone nowhere for four years. And here's a here's a dirty little secret for you. You've got 20 seconds to reveal it. Here's a dirty little secret for you. The S&P price relative to full economy earnings has better forecasting power than the S&P's own 
price to earnings ratio on forward returns for the S&P. So what does it tell us? It tells us that the outlook remains grim. Cameron Christ sticking with us on that very happy note. Next up on the program, we'll run you through the next couple of days. Some big days ahead, actually. We've got some big earnings, some PMIs, and an ECB rate decision. Eight years of Mario Draghi. Time is almost up. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable live across the capital on DAP Digital Radio. You are listening to Bloomberg Radio alongside Guy Johnson. I'm Jonathan Farrow. What a 24 hours we've got coming up for you. After the closing bow today, Microsoft reporting earnings in the United States. You'll get those numbers after the bow. A little bit later on in the week, we'll hear from the likes of Amazon as well. So two big tech heavyweights reporting during the week. Amazon coming after the close tomorrow. Before we get to those Amazon numbers after the close tomorrow, you get some PMI out of Europe and the United States in Europe we're expecting manufacturing to pick up a little bit services too manufacturing though even with a pickup the median estimate 46.0 this is the preliminary read for the month of October from 45.7 for the eurozone the uh, services number 51.9 from a read of 51.6 this is the median estimate against a previous read 50.3 is the median estimate for the composite 50.1 the previous read US PMIs coming up as well and Cameron Kreis eight years of President Draghi his tenure is coming to an end your thoughts on eight years of Draghi well he started strongly uh, and I think kind of ran out of steam. Um, you know, he was left with a hospital pass from Monsieur Trichet. And what uh, a hospital pass it was. Yeah, and I think he was he was correct uh, to to basically literally say, we'll do whatever it takes to, to right the ship. Uh, and he did, certainly pushing the envelope of what the ECB was deemed um, capable of uh, in terms of asset purchases and whatever. Um, but I think when he s- took interest rates negative, that's when the wheels started to come off a little bit. And I think the subsequent performance of, say, the European banking sector uh, has been a testament to that. Uh, and the fact that five years, more than five years after they introduced negative interest rates, they belatedly uh, recognized the, the need for, for some sort of tiering to mitigate the impact of negative rates uh, is is a fairly damning piece of evidence. Would Weidman have done a better job? Sorry? Would Weidman, not Weidman, Weber, have done a better job? Oh, no. Absolutely no, not. No. Exactly. No. So so kind of, I think we've got to measure this against kind of who who sure. could have been the other option, and that was, was definitely Axel Weber. No, yeah, we, no. Uh, would well, the yeah, but held together under him, I don't know. But I think, uh, I think Trichet's ECB, or excuse me, uh, Draghi's ECB was was very stubborn in their waving away uh, the the any sort of negative externalities from negative interest rates. Um, no, and enough. I th- I think they the on the QE side, you know, and it's not just negative rates, uh, a literal impact. The fact that. Um, they then sort of bought sufficient number of bonds, particularly high quality bonds, that you have you know vast swathes of high quality investment assets in Europe offering a negative yield. Um, we haven't gotten the bill for that yet. Um, the discount rate that European insurers um, apply 
to their liabilities is 3.9%. That, that's fantasy land. Um, the returns that they can get from high-quality assets is, is way, way less than that, right? Yeah. So at some point, there's, there's going to be a comeuppance between what insurance companies and pension funds can actually get from their investment portfolios and what their, liability, what, excuse me, what their liabilities are actually going to be. Because right now, their liabilities are grossly understated. So a couple of things. I think you're both right to say that we have to consider what Trichet passed to Draghi to really assess his tenure there. We also, Guy, you're right, have to think about the alternative. If we had some someone from the Bundesbank running the ECB, I think the Eurozone... Came very close. The Eurozone would have been in a total, well, total you know, mess. I, and just to finish the thought, I, I do think that, to your point, Cameron... The eight years of Draghi roughly can be split into two halves. The first half is a fantastic example of demonstrating the power of a central bank and the power of words too, not just actions. The second half, to some ways, is another example that just runs counter to that. The impotency of a central bank doing so much and achieving... We can talk about the counterfactual. We always can. But I do think, to your point, on negative rates, on QE, can we sit here and say it was a success... I think it's still. No, the, I think yeah, the jury's out. Yeah, you know, I, I, it reminds me a bit of Arsene Wenger. You know, to, to use another North London football analogy, he started off um, very, very well uh, from a from a sort of a struggling previous tenure. Delivered all sorts of uh, you know literal or metaphorical trophies in his first few years, but the latter stages have kind of been a bit blah. And you know, I, I think it's 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 time for new blood. Whether whether the new manager. Uh, whether uh, Madame Lagarde is the sure. is the Unai Emery equivalent remains to be you know remains. You to know be what seen. we're going to miss the communication. I, I don't think we've ever seen anyone that can communicate central bank policy quite the way that Draghi has. I, I'm not sure we will for a long, long time. People celebrate the communication of Madame Lagarde. I, I think the jury's out on that too. Yep. I, I when you also, communicate as the IMF chief guy and you say something, it doesn't really doesn't carry as much weight no. as an ECB. President, I think the jury's out. Just for an example, and just quickly, Garner, I'll give you the final word on all of this. When he was asked at the last meeting about whether this decision was unanimous, he managed to tell you the truth and simultaneously totally paper over the cracks about how much division there actually was at the ECB. And I don't think we're going to see the likes of Draghi for a long time. Final point. I think he emptied the toolbox. I think he, he completely and utterly emptied the toolbox. And in, and in some ways, as a result... I think he's changed central banking forever in the way that the the effects that central banks can have. Um, I think he's tried a load of stuff that hasn't worked, and I think that that in some ways is an incredibly useful sort of exercise to go through. He was late clearly to the QE experiment, um, and I think that it almost in itself was a useful exercise to understand kind of the, the need to go early and go quickly. And I think. And I think all of that is going to be very useful to 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 Christine Lagarde, but I think he leaves her with a very empty, empty toolbox, and and as a result of which, I think the next few years are going to be in some ways incredibly dicey for the eurozone. Well, the presumption Christ. is that she's going to sort of gather her political friends and try to get some yep. fiscal policy. The music is our cue. It's been great to catch up with you. Alongside Guy Johnson in London, I'm Jonathan Farrow here in New York. This was The Cable. We'll be with you tomorrow post-ECB to have a little look back on President Draghi's eight years and to review the latest decision. This is Bloomberg. It's Bloomberg. It's Bloomberg.